Do you love audiobooks? You can get a free 30-day trial membership to audible.com by visiting audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. They have thousands of audiobook titles as well as podcasts, guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, and exclusive Audible originals you won't find anywhere else. Get your free trial membership at audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. Welcome to the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast, a show exploring the lives of professional musicians of all types, touring musicians, recording artists, songwriters, engineers, bar bands, wedding bands, and anyone making their living in the music industry. Whether you've dreamed of being a professional or you already are one, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Eric Baines, and I hope that you not only find some entertainment here, but also some helpful tips, trade secrets, and ideas that will help you achieve your dreams. We have another Berkeley guy on the show today, and I'm realizing that this seems to be a pattern here. <laughs> and I swear to God, I'm not doing it intentionally, but I think it's a it's another testament of how, you know, being affiliated with any school kind of works. You know, I've come out here and I'm immediately meet Berkeley people because those are my network and that leads to other Berkeley people and other Berkeley people. So, I mean, I think I'm right now I'm at five out of 12 of the interviews so far have been Berkeley folks, but I'm definitely not intentionally doing that and not trying to push the school on anybody. Although I would highly recommend it if you can afford to go there because it's, it's an incredible school. Uh, but my guest today is a keyboard player and has been the musical director for Avril Lavigne for many years. He's also played with Nuno Betancourt, Gary Sharon, Perry Farrell, and many more. Um, and he's the leader of Soundcheck Live, which is a Hollywood institution at this point, or at least, you know, back when we were allowed to play in clubs. <laughs> it's an invite-only jam held at the Lucky Strike Bowling Alley in Hollywood that features an incredible backup band and includes a curated second set. And some of the curators have been Jackson Brown, Nuno Betancourt, Avril Lavigne, Extreme, Steve Vise, Stu Ham, Nancy Wilson, Johnny Depp, all kinds of folks like that. Um, and that's just to name a few. But it's the kind of scene where you never know who's going to walk into the club and who's going to show up. Um, it's it's an invite-only jam, so um, it's it's not generally random people sitting in necessarily, but you never know. And uh, it's a really, really cool thing. And it's a big part of the L.A. community at this point. He's another extremely hardworking musician. And um, so I'm really happy to have him on. And please, once again, pardon the sound. We're still dealing with remotes and, uh, you know, social distancing. But um, I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Steve Frelazzo. How has the lockdown been for you? Because I know you, you seem to me like a guy who really likes to be busy. Like you seem you're, you're always going somewhere every time I see you. You know what I mean? So was it an adjustment? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was tough for me because, you know, I was literally five days from getting on a plane Ugh. to Europe. Wow. Um, I was in rehearsals with Avril from March 1 to March 6. Wow. 
Okay. And, and I I mean, literally, you know, and it was funny because we were in these rehearsals knowing that things were like blowing up. And then it was like, you know, at, at the beginning of March, they already started like the, the whole thing started out with the no crowds above. Right. Right. That's how it started, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, at first it's like, okay, so we're not gonna so France oh so the first one that was out was Milan. So there there, there was Italy. Right. And then France followed. And then even then it's like, you know, there's 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 a lot of money at stake with these things. So, you know, I, I think they wanted to make it happen. So we finished rehearsals, all the gear went into the truck. Mm-hmm to like get on the boat or the plane or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know, man. So anyways, then Germany imposed the restrictions and part of our tour, there was four shows in Germany. So as soon as that happened, there was just like, no way. So yeah, getting to your question though, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I was literally busy right up to the start of this. And then, you know, once I knew that the tour got canceled, you know, that, that was three months of straight tour pay that I was planning on. And, you know, I'm of course not the only one, but then that's gone. So immediately I kind of go into freak out mode because nothing else is going on because I was going to be out of the country. So it, it really didn't take long, but probably by the third week of March, I had heard about music cares and what they were doing. Right. And I've, you know, and just like I'm, I'm sure that, you know, there's a lot of us who do, but I, I had a really good network and, and friends of mine told me about this immediately. Yeah. So anyways, I was probably one of the first that uh, applied for this and I got my check relatively quickly. Right. So this happened and I was like, my God, there's a charity set up for dudes like me. Right. They just helped pay my rent. I'm sitting at home doing nothing. I need to do something to like give back. Yeah. Yeah. So then immediately go from being in rehearsals with her, tour gets canceled, two and a half weeks go by. I'm already freaking because I'm doing nothing for two weeks, and that's already impossible for me. Right. And then I started the um, doing the Soundcheck Live Beatles cover. So right. I, I went head first into that, and dude, it was literally 12 to 14 hours a day for like six weeks. I mean, that thing is amazing. We're talking about the Let It Be video. Yes. Oh, yes. And that thing is just incredible. I mean, I've seen, we've seen a lot of these COVID videos now, but there's like 65 musicians in this one. Is that? Six, yeah. Yeah. Um, was it final count? Uh, yeah. As far as like actual performance, I think it was 65, like seven engineers. Um, and, and, uh, the guy who made the video, you know, did a great job. Yeah. You know, and, and and even that there was like a lot of back and forth, but it was like, I'm, I'm not a video guy. So I kind of, and again, yes, we, we, we've seen a bunch of these, but I told them how I wanted it to flow. And 
what's what I don't know if a lot of people know, but to have so many people and to make this work, basically, if, if you watch the video, all of the performers change every four bars. Right. Yeah. Every four bars. Yeah. But each each person sent me the whole song. That's what I was going to ask about. So you didn't have like, this is going to be your eight bars. Everyone so, had to do oh, all of the whole song. Yeah. And, and I did that because there was no way that I knew yet how I was actually going to cut it. Right. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. like, I didn't want to copy and paste, you know, a first four bars from a track. And then because the song has a vibe that flows and builds the whole way, right. you know? So there, to, to be fair that there, there was only, there was only four people who didn't track the entire song. That was Avril, Got Nuno, it. although Nuno, once he solos, he's in the yeah. song until the end. Right. Nuno, uh, and, and it, it was the guitar solos, Phil X and Orianti as well. So, but yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the mandate was, you know, just track the whole thing and then send video. Gotcha. That's hours and hours of stuff to edit. Yeah, and, and just going through all that, and then and then pre-lining stuff up before sending it out to Video World and all that. So yeah, as as a producer for that project, it was definitely just a one man thing, Got you it. know. So it was just a lot, and there was always emails, texts coming in from people. But the one of the most positive things outside of the money and and the awareness you know of the uh, charity was for me it kept me nonstop busy through right. like the hardest times of when it was all still kind of new people were wondering what was going to happen and you know I, I mean while i was doing that i i still uh outside of the music cares thing, like while I was doing that, I, I was in the middle of the process of applying for unemployment and a couple of these other um, helpful things. Um, I, I think I'd applied for like, I don't know, four, four of those, whatever grants or, or whatever. Um, and a couple of them worked out. But um, it was fortunate for me initially because I had been on salary with Avril yeah. the previous year. So I didn't need to go the PUA or PUA right, type right. route, you know, I, which, yeah. which was kind of difficult. The, the initial frustrating thing about the unemployment is just filling out the application, making yeah. sure that you get it right. Well, my thing was I had had it from a previous tour. So I had had an account, mm -hmm. but I did, I didn't remember the password from seven years ago. Right. So kind of like being not, not knowing any better. There was like an almost two week period where I was waiting, like know how you like log into a site, you forget your password. There's a button that says, forget password. Then they send you an email and you can do your password. Right. So that option was there, but they never got back to me. 
And I'm like waiting a week for an answer that never came. So anyways, that, so this is not all about that. But my point was I, I stayed extremely busy with that. And then by the time it was done, I had at that point, I'd gotten on to unemployment and watching my expenditures and all that. Right. I was able to maintain. Yeah. So it uh, the the process of doing that song at that time was incredibly therapeutic for me, and right. you know helped get me through that. And ironically, I, I think maybe five or six days after I finished it, mm-hmm. the overwhelming thought of depression, or, or I, that's that's probably too much of a word because mm. I yeah. uh, just of of not of now not having a task to focus on yeah and i was like what am i going to do now it's like before i was going 12 hours a day and now i have all those 12 hours plus the other eight hours that i'm awake right so (laughs) so i hear that 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 uh, lasted for about a week yeah and then i've pretty much been nonstop busy since oh that's great that's really great. Yeah, I find it's kind of a roller coaster. Even if, I've been pretty busy myself, but still, it's like, especially if you look at, you know, the news <laughs> or like Facebook, it's like I wake up and I just don't know what the day is going to be like. Some days are great. Sometimes I think this is the best time of my life because right. I'm able to do all kinds of things. I've been able to be home. I mean, I've been on the right. road for three years, basically. Yeah. So it's been a nice break. But then other days where you're like, is this ever going to end? You know, so. Yeah, man, it's that part of it is is uh, tough, man. It's tough. Yeah, well, the video is great. I also uh, got a check from Music Cares, so when I saw that on there, I was like, "Oh, this is perfect." Because you know, I, I I had a you know Rudy Cardenas, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. We did a Facebook Live thing not mm-hmm. too long ago, just to raise money so I could do the same thing. It's like I don't. Uh-huh. You know, I appreciate the money. Other people are gonna need the money, so we we raised a little money for them too. And uh, right. it is a great a great thing. And so crazy when, like, wow, somebody somebody cares <laughs> about us. Lowly, I mean, well, that right. Well, that's 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 <laughs> what just kind of blew my mind initially. I didn't know that there was such a thing, and yeah. and it, it started kind of soon. You know, like I, I now look at granted the, the uh, charity in some form or another might have already been there even prior to COVID, but they streamlined it, you know, specifically for that. And yeah, that was a, a, a great thing. So yeah, I was proud of it. I was happy with it. I went from having three subscribers to now having like 1100 the videos at like 106,000 views. I don't, for me, it wasn't about that, but it was just, it's just nice that, you know, for, for some people, you know, it, it, it uh, connected. So, yeah. And, and lastly, the last thing about that before going on to another topic or anything was that it it was a way for me to sort of continue soundcheck live virtually hmm yeah you know, so yeah yeah that that um you know it, it, it was a nice way to sort of bring all these people together at that kind of that that time where it was still not as you know ha- ha- had been ongoing so long for though they 
As far as the Facebook thing, if you look at my feed, there's maybe four posts in two and a half months. I yeah. can't do it. I, I, I just, me, I can't do it. I like check in. I look at it. I get really depressed. Yeah. I, I, I meaning I, I don't get clinically depressed, right. but I, I get depressed by what I'm seeing and a lot of the back and forth. And, yeah. you know, a part of, part of this thing that we are going through is that you have two different sides that first off are not only so diametrically opposed, but you don't best the other. Like people are firmly, you know, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. And there, it feels like there are no real discussions, just it's just going back and forth. Nobody's changing anybody's mind, which all this has nothing to do with music. <laughs> and I'm not a political guy, and I'm not talking about anything specific, just yeah. in general. That's yeah. all. Yeah. And that's the problem, too, is like, this stuff shouldn't be political. <laughs> you know, we're dealing with a, a disease. Exactly. Well, since you brought up Soundcheck Live, uh, yeah. let's talk about that because it's kind of this amazing thing. I've always talked about sort of LA and you're from the East coast. So mm -hmm. maybe you can speak to this, but LA as a city is a little different in that. I, I don't, I don't feel a huge community here, you know? And it's like, there's people know each other and there's all kinds of people, but it's not like mm -hmm. we have like a central park to go to or the Boston common where everyone meets and does stuff. You know, we're all in our cars, you know? So yeah. any time that there's any place where musicians can meet up on a weekly basis and or a monthly basis at, at this point. Yeah. You know, I think that this, the Soundcheck Live is, is, has been a really cool, you know, sense of community. It's given people a sense of community, which I think is yeah. a really important thing for a city like us, you know? It definitely is. And that, and, and that really was an enormously large part of it. There is no question about that. You know, um, again, for, for, for me, just even doing it, you know, it, it keeps me busy. It keeps me feeling vital. It, it, it keeps me feeling like I'm giving back just in the sense of having a forum, having a venue, having a place where all of these different types of players, vocalists and all that, whether you're performing or not, you you don't need to be playing. I, I mean, there's plenty right. of people that literally just go for the hang. There's some people they'll check out, you know, a couple of songs or if there's a special guest, but you know, if, 
they're just in the back talking and hanging and networking, you know, all the better. Um, and one of the things I love most about it is I love hearing when people are getting gigs. Right. Yeah. You know, like mm. literally getting gigs in indirectly or directly as a result of either performing at the uh, show, you know, there was, uh, there's always tons of videos and stuff. So right. people, when there's a particularly good performance, you know, that en ends up going up on, on YouTube. And for some people, it becomes part of their reel. Right. Well, it got me a gig, partially, um, just, you know, to be honest, because I, I, my current gig with Dwight Yoakam, I, uh, I went in and you let me sing two songs one night, and my friend Rudy... Wait, 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 wait. Uh, one of them was Lido, right? Yes, or no? a Lido show. Yeah. Yeah. Lido and what was... I've, I've, I've got a great memory for, like, <laughs> all of the performances, and I'm trying to think of the second one. And I can't remember the second one, but I uh, definitely remember Lido. And I was stoked yeah. to do that song because I love that song. Yeah. So anyways. A, and cool keyboard part too. You got you to yeah. do on that song. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Diddly, diddly, diddly. Um, yes. But my friend Rudy, uh, he recorded it. So when White, you know, asked for some video, I was like, oh, I have this performance of... I actually, I sent him the other song, which I did, which was the uh, Kings of Leon song. Oh! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. I can't remember the name of it right now, but I'll, I'll correct it later. Anyway, so I sent that to him and that partially, you know, that was one of the three videos I sent to get the gig. And oh. so, yeah, I think it provides, because it's a great venue too, the sound system at the Lucky Strike in Hollywood. For, the, well, yeah. for those of people who don't know what it is, it's, it's, it's kind of a jam. But it's not really. It's like because it's it's all sort of pre-planned, and we get to know what we're doing. So it's sort of like what a jam could be if it was highly organized. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like you show up and you sign up on the list, which I've hosted many of those, and most of the time they're just you know you get two or three decent sets, and then the rest of it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I I that that's uh, you know the 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 format of the show is something that I specifically you know spent time or whatever and i just like you i've i've been to those kinds um and i've been to other similar nights in hollywood and los angeles or whatever and i hey. knew things that i liked and didn't like and i've i i think you know for me the uh, tendency as being a musical director was getting things extremely organized in advance like um i'd i'd send out songs in advance for you to learn if the song had a fade out mm. i'd find a, a live ending put it onto the mp3 right and say this is it i, I just you know because the whole idea it's I, and and there's a couple of different mindsets as to how these things should go and none of them are wrong there's just a different thing. Right, so, right. you know, I, I wanted it. I personally wanted Soundcheck Live at its best to be a showcase for either Los Angeles's best, Los Angeles's up and coming, right. Los Angeles's I'm off the road, but I still love to play and I want to connect with people. And there was, there was a very large touring band, sideman type thing because I'm, I'm that as well. 
right. you know, right. and I, I just always wanted to focus on having the best possible performances. There was still no rehearsals, but right. it's like, you know, even if I'm, you know, in, in a band or if I'm filling in or am being something to me, it's always about the homework, you know? Yeah. And I, I was, I was kind of big on if, if, if you don't have time to do the homework, just tell me, we'll get you in another time. Right. You know, and the, the, the one thing that I didn't like is when I would see people in the corner right. <laughs> 10 minutes before with the headphones on, yeah. you know, and, and then also, and, and again, because I, it was weekly and I, I went to monthly part of that was to have a longer planning curve. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and you know, and also because of that, I, I usually wouldn't have the same people at each show. Like I generally, especially vocalists, you know, try and spread them out every few months, you know? So like, especially for, for a vocalist, while there were still other, still other things going on around town for this particular night, you know, it was like every few months. Now, as far as players, when it's two days before and Johnny so-and-so got a session gig, which I never give anybody shit about because that's why this is what all of us do. Right. You know, um, just let me know as soon as you can. So, and then that's when I, I would probably have somebody that I just had the last time because there can learn the, the, the song hands cold in like a couple hours, show up and kill it. Right. So, yeah. Well, that's interesting because that's such a, I've talked about that before already on my short little podcast here, but uh, mm-hmm. about because I'm the same way as like homework is so important. And the, and, can, and a lot of people don't realize, I, I've always, you know, sometimes you show up on a gig and, and guys don't know what they're doing and you just think, what were you thinking about on the way here in the car? Like what did right. you think was going to happen? You know, you knew we were going to play these songs, you know? So yeah. to have that be a part of this jam where you're you're sort of you're going there to to maybe get a gig or to maybe meet people but you're also forced to do your homework and to prove that you're somebody hireable you know what right. I mean? bingo thank you yeah it's that's a- that's that is definitely part of it that is definitely part of it yes and we're talking 50 60 musicians a night like yep and it runs like a machine it's it's pretty brilliant that's that's also <laughs> thanks in large part due to my wonderful wife Kim, who takes care of everything backstage and all of that, and getting people where they're supposed to be and all that, and I couldn't do it if not for her. And that's also been great for us as a married couple. That it's there's something musical that mm-hmm. I'm doing that that's that's a large part of my life while I'm in town, and Kim is just as much a part of that. And because. I'm I'm on stage and she's back or I'm running around. It's not like we're there's like no clashing, you know, right, on right. on that night. She does her thing. She does a great job of it. Yeah, I do my thing. And if I'm not on stage, I look like a chicken that's running around and got his <laughs> head cut off. And yeah. that's 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 where I'm very comfortable. Wow. I'm very comfortable running all over the place. Yes, that's true. <laughs> well, you beat me to the punch. I was actually going to bring her up because it's also, 
you know, it, this is a hard business on relationships and especially when you're a touring guy and, yep. you know, def, uh, how you guys have been together a long time. Dude, a very long time. Um, we check this out. We first started dating. Oh, like 30 years ago. Wow. That's awesome. Um, we've been married now. And if I get this wrong, she's going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> uh, 19 years. Wow. That's great. So, yeah. And, you know, I've been touring for at, at least all, almost two thirds of that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, there's, uh, there's, there's tons of ups and downs it, it, just right. like everybody has, yeah. but you know, we've been very fortunate, you know, that we found, um, a lot of great ways to make this thing work or whatever. And, and as I said, you know, like touring wise, I, I, I can't take her on tour and put her in the bus with me. I'll right. fly her out to some certain places of course, for like, you know, uh, a week or so. But when the Soundcheck Live thing came around, it just made sense. And and it was funny because she fell into it. Like the very first week of the show, the premiere, I had had a guy who was a production manager. That that was his gig, you know what I mean? Gotcha, yeah. um, and two days before the show, he bailed. Wow. Oh my God. And I'm like, Kim, this is what can you just, I, I mean, I got a lot going on. She's like, I got it. She got the friggin' clipboard, yeah. you know, and then she always makes food and brings, you know, these treats for everybody. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she's, she's the, um, she's the face and I'm either the, the hands or the uh, brain or whatever, but yeah, it's a, uh, good solid uh, arrangement for us that's great and it adds to the whole family atmosphere that's there yeah you know and and uh it's also kind of a crazy scene because like you have legit sunset strip old older rock guys there that are still dressed in the garb that they owned in the 80s you know and then mm -hmm. but the, but the and even though it's mainly a rock-based kind of jam there you also it's pretty versatile i did lido shuffle you know, like, and, and you've got horns and you got strings sometimes. And, uh, so it makes for a really diverse crowd, which is kind of, kind yeah. of, too, you know, and it's such an yeah. odd thing cause it's in a bowling alley as well. So I don't know if, if I, but the sound system dude is great. It's amazing. It's, it's like yeah. being at a rock concert for sure. Yeah. So if you haven't been to the, I mean, I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know if they're going to recover from all this. I am certainly hopeful that it will. Um, I mean, at least in terms of that venue, um, it's not a chain, but but it is a corporation. There's a right. bunch of other locations. Um, I've I've been in contact with them. We still haven't gotten any indication that the venue itself uh, or the location is going away. That's good. Um, but you know, just like anything else, it's just not safe yet. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I don't want to do it if it's not safe, you know? Yeah. That, so that's the other thing of, you know, if you haven't played there, like the backstage area is tiny, tiny, like 50 or 60 musicians. So it's like a COVID breeding ground right there. You know, yeah. it would definitely be not the great. And you've also, you also do a, a guest set, like a curator set in the middle. And yeah. you've had like unbelievable P 
people like like seven rock and roll hall of famers no eight yeah wow that's incredible johnny jacks yeah Stu Ham yep. was always showing up which is yeah one of my heroes from my berkeley days <laughs> and, like, yeah totally by nuno betancourt of course there often um so what what have been like your favorite lineups over over the, uh, well over the so there's there's lineups there's certain nights there's certain guest curated sets and um uh, a, a few themes um the the first amazing one and probably in my top three or top two was our prince night oh yes um you know, I I think it was, I think it was a couple like two two weeks maybe after he had passed, and I don't make it, I I don't, and I strongly dislike racing to do some kind of show right right after something like that. But for this, um, I I'm I'm not lying to you. I cried for like five days. Like I'm a grown man. I, I had such a connection to Prince all through my entire life that just the, the prospect of that happening. I know that that's, it's different for different artists for people, but like literally I, I was literally like, and then that night I'm crying on and off or whatever. Um, but everybody involved in that, had a similar connection and those are the people that I wanted and that would do that night and those songs justice. Mm. And I really feel that that was the case. Um, the craziest thing, true story, I guess, apparently, um, one of the last songs, the night obviously was purple rain. Mm -hmm. Swear to God, we started the song and it started raining. (laughs) <laughs> and it it hadn't rained prior to that right so right. that was crazy so yeah. that that'd be one um another really uh crazy ambitious night was doing the wall yes i think and entirety yeah oh yeah you did yeah <laughs> from from a top to a bottom we had <laughs> roger water's son we, we literally brought a b3 in You know, and I had the horns, the strings, the background singers. It was amazing. And that's, that's, that's another, you know, favorite band of mine, Jackson Brown. Yeah. I mean, entire set of Jackson, like the dude is Jackson Brown and he came in (laughs) and we just backed him up and and he he was incredible. He was incredible. Um, and then, you know, there's been no less than probably three, of Nuno sets because I've known Nuno going back to Boston prior to extreme, even being signed. I've known him for many years. He's a great friend. I was in a band for five and a half years with him. Mm -hmm. And I knew when I started soundcheck live and wanted to have this whole guest guest curated set. And I, and, and, and I knew exactly in my mind how I, how I hoped that certain artists would approach it. Mm-hmm. He, he was the epitome of that. Like, I don't believe to date we've ever done one extreme song ever <laughs> because the whole idea was yeah. that's your day job. Like I, I want that set to be something that you've always wanted to do 
but there just wasn't the right venue, time, or place. And I, you know, you you can bring in whoever you want, but I will do whatever is needed player-wise to make that vision happen. Right. You know, so yeah, there was a lot of amazing performances. Um, you know, uh there was one uh we it was uh Nuno, uh Steve Vai, Tom Morello. Kotzen on guitar, Stu Ham on bass, Sobel on drums. Yeah. You know, it, it was just, it's, it, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, and not even just those kinds of moments, like, you know, um, another, even just a song that stands out, doing Mama by Genesis with Jude Cross and singing. Uh. One of my favorite, <laughs> my, my favorite performances. I mean, He's yeah. a, a a great great vocalist or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, there's there's just been so many, you know, and I'm 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 just fortunate and blessed that somebody lets me put these things together. Right. What's the <laughs> matter with them? <laughs> oh man. Well and days- and and I drink for free. Yeah, that's, Come on. The that's the key right there. This is called the Dive Bar Rockstar podcast. So yes, free drinking is all is what I'm all about. <laughs> nice, nice. Some, some would say, what's wrong with you for wanting to do all that work? It's amazing. Because like I said, it's so organized. You, 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 I mean, I can't imagine the time that you spend on it when you were doing it weekly, especially. But it, it always... That was a killer, dude. That, that, it, it was, it was just killing me. I mean, it, it was like, 50 hours a week, yeah, every single week. And I wasn't getting calls like, cause it was weekly. And then I went to monthly and everybody's like, well, how come you're doing it monthly? Because I, I don't make money at that gig. I, I, I get a, a small amount, but it's, I, I can't pay right. my bills off that. Right. You know? And because I was spending so much time on that, people wouldn't even give me the benefit of the doubt of calling me for a gig. Cause they just automatically assumed I was too busy. It's kind of like being on the road too much, you know, you're yeah. out of sight, out of mind. And yeah. then I, I went monthly and inside of the first month I started getting calls. So everything panned out. So that's great. Well, the other thing that's amazing about it is that you're not from LA and you're hosting this amazing LA event, which is, you know, cool, but you, uh, you grew up in New York, right? And then you went, you were in Boston uh, I, I, yeah, I, I was raised in New York and then I left there to go to Berkeley uh-huh. and, um, I, you know, spent, uh, whatever years that you call them, whatever from, it's funny because I, I, I came from a small town in Schenectady, oh, okay. New York. Yeah. So okay. like me getting to Boston, you know, was everything that I wanted because the alternative was dragging a keg into the woods for a bonfire. <laughs> that, that, that's not me. That's, you know, I, I never had that sort of towny mentality, but I was that, but I knew that I wanted more. Yeah. And I, I knew that, you know, um, that as soon as I got to Berkeley, that my path was, going to be learning, observing, adapting, learning how to socially interact and knowing that, you know, it, it starts with the ability, no question. It gets overlooked, but that needs to be a, a given prior to 
right. at, adding all these things on top, you know. The play. But um, yeah, yes, 100% there. And then, you know, from there, it's like, how how do you become hireable, uh, marketable, or how do you get your message out or what you have to offer? You know, yeah, so I love Boston. I mean, yeah. it's it's a shell of what it was. Mm. Um, and there, there, there was a great scene there. There was a great vibrant scene there for, for quite some time. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, not there, you know what I mean? Uh, There's, there's still a couple places here and there. As a matter of fact, I think, uh, two of the uh, jazz clubs are still hanging on Scullers and Riles. Got you. Yeah. I used to play Scullers all the time. There you go. I, I was kind of the same way. But I, I came from Broomfield, Colorado, where I grew okay. up. And anytime you have broom and field in the name of your town. <laughs> Dude, gotta go. <laughs> I have to confess something. I, I love books, but I, I don't love reading. And it's, it's been something that I've, I've wrestled with since I was a kid. You know, I, I can read. I have read books, but they're very time consuming. And I've spent most of my time trying to build a music career, <laughs> which takes a lot of time. But one thing I definitely do a lot of is drive in L.A. traffic on my way to a gig. And there's a solution that combines those two situations, and it's called Audible.com. Audible has thousands of audiobook titles, and you can listen offline anywhere, anytime. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. And they have just a ton of music-related titles, like All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald S. Passman, How Music Works by David Byrne, or Music Production Secrets by Calvin Carter. And you can get a free 30-day trial right now if you visit audibletrial.com slash rockstar. That's audibletrial.com slash rockstar. I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening to the Dive Bar Rockstar podcast. As a new podcast, getting the word out is a vital part of what it takes to keep the show on the road. Uh, or off the road, as the current case may be. If you would like to support the podcast... All you got to do is subscribe wherever you listen. And if you have an extra minute or two, please leave a review. You can also share and follow the podcast on your social media apps. Okay, enough begging. I hope you're having fun. And once again, thank you for listening. But I was the same way. I was like, I couldn't wait to get this. Because I was born in Poughkeepsie, New York, and my family was all there. So I was kind of, I, my whole life's quest was just to get back to New York, you know, and like to the uh-huh. city. So Boston was like the, the, the kinder, gentler New York at the time, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. I really, I really loved it there. And did you get a lot out of Berkeley? Did you enjoy your time there? I, I did. You know, it's, um, it's, I, I didn't graduate, which is not an uncommon thing there, but it's funny, man. I got, more than I possibly could have realized as the years passed. You know, when I first got there, my very first term or semester there, um, there was a lot that I tested out of because I, I had had a lot of training in theory. Right. And so initially I tested out of a lot of stuff, but even the stuff where I started at, at that time, it came pretty easy to me. Mm-hmm. All right. and. I'm I'm not going to lie at that age and just getting there and coming from where I was to the 
big city, not the Big Apple, but, you know, as far as I was concerned, yeah. this is it. And, you know, the hair and, and, um, and I'm not going to lie. I want, I wanted to be a rock star, man. I, I, I got in, you know, and I was like, okay, so we got this going on, that going on gear. What gear do I, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, the funny thing was a month into being in Berkeley, I ended up getting into the band that I was in and remained in until grunge destroyed it all. <laughs> right. Um, wow. But yeah, no, I just, uh, in terms of the social interaction at the school, mm. not even just that, but, you know, the, the amount of classes that I had had up until I left and things that I kind of like math in a certain way, like things that you don't think that you're going to use and tensions and subdominance and, mm -hmm. and all this and circle of fits and pass and all, all that sort of theory. I realized later I was using it the entire time. I, I just I... wasn't using it as in I'm writing a chart. And the reason why I'm going to this chord is because it functions as a subdominant, but my mind just knew that, you right, know, right, from that right. training and theory. And it's funny because later I sort of not, not to relearn, but I reacquainted myself with all that specific theory. You know what I mean? And then, because it was like, I, it was like, you know, you take what you, you've learned and then you develop it or whatever. But then, you know, it's like, I, I kind of wanted to go back and re sort of realize why I'm doing this and that. And it was funny because I had saved my, my books. Yeah. So a harmony one through four jazz harmony, mm -hmm. um, counterpoint, uh, ranging yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. I was in the, early stages of the uh, synth program. Okay, I was going to ask you. Oh, you yeah. Do a lot of programming. That's kind of one of your things. And Yeah. So you took so that Berkeley. I did. And at the time, we were learning off of an ARP 2600 for like, you know, showing a visual of, of how that sort of subtractive stuff works. And then th there was like an... Oberheim expander. Um, trying to remember the other synths that were there, but then and, and and it was funny at that time. I don't even know if there was Pro Tools, man. No, it couldn't have been Vision. Vision. I so, don't remember that. No, no, exactly. Vision. <laughs> what became Digital Performer? Mark oh, gotcha. of Unicorn. Right. Was a company that is still based out of Cambridge. Oh, wow. So they actually, pr they had all that software. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I was definitely into the programming and sound design thing very early, early on. So, and then what brought you out to LA? Was that a, you know. Oh, <laughs> so, um, I'll, I'll, uh, tell the, the, the shortest version of stories I can. So again, I had just, finished producing and co-writing a record with Gary Sharon, which was his first album right after Van Halen. Gotcha. So he had left Van Halen. He wanted to do something different. And at 
the uh, time I was, and, and I still am, but I was very much into Nine Inch Nails and industrial, and I had produced a couple of artists in that vein already by that time. And I, of course, had known Gary as well, and he wanted to have a certain, uh, like half of the record was that. Mm-hmm. Half of it was more acoustic, organic type kind of thing. So, anyways, so I had done that, um, and uh, we had done some touring, and that and that had ran its course. At that point, Nuno had moved to LA, um, and uh, he assumed that the easiest thing would be to put together a band of musicians from LA. So. Um, he started, he had just finished a record called Population One, where he sang and played everything on the entire record. Wow. And, and, and then he had a decent sized tour in Asia and he had to put a band together. So um, he had all these auditions and he was auditioning keyboard players already. His drummer was already from Boston or from Hudson, Mass. He had moved out. Um, and um, the bass player that we used on that run was Phil Bino. Phil is an L.A. guy now. He was he was a Boston guy. Um, one of the most notable things is he toured with Steve Vai for quite some time. Gotcha. Him and Mike Mangini. Got you, got you, yes. So. Um, and Phil was also from the East Coast, so already he's trying to put together an L.A. band. He's, he has a Massachusetts drummer, a Massachusetts bass player, um, <laughs> and that tour, we also had a rhythm guitar player. He was also from Massachusetts. So anyway, so now he's trying out keyboard players, and then he auditioned for like a couple of days, and then I ended up getting a call. He's like, listen... Um, I need, I need you to learn 30 songs, uh, to program all the songs, learn all of the uh, background vocals in a week and a half. I'll, I'll send you the uh, tracks. Here's the keyboards I used. Go and rent that keyboard and get all the sounds. Come out. We'll do four rehearsals and then go. Wow. So at that point, I wasn't living in L.A., but for the next two years, two and a half years, I was still touring with Nuno mm. while I, I, I was still I, I was on the East Coast and I, I would fly in for rehearsals and then go. But each time I went to L.A., you know, I'm yeah. like, it's yeah. got to happen. And 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 it's funny because the only reason why I hadn't done it sooner is I had known so many people from the East Coast that had moved out to L.A., just yeah. thinking they were going to be rock stars in six months. And I, I just heard all these horror stories from them. Yeah. But these, these, these were their stories, you know, right. and it, it was, it, it was kind of unfortunate for me only in the sense that I let their stories stop me from doing what I had should have done many years prior. Right, right. You know, and and of course, saying that the bottom line is things happen when they're supposed to happen. And if it hadn't happened exactly how it did, who knows? You know what I mean? Maybe things could have been exponentially better. Maybe things could have been exponentially worse. 
I don't know. But the bottom line was, you know, so that was that. So then finally, I'm like, I gotta, I, I just gotta move to LA. Kim didn't want to do it initially. Mm-hmm. Kim had already lived in Los Angeles ah. prior, did not have the best time in, in the world. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was like, look at, you know, this is where I need to be for us to have the kind of life doing what I do to have the most impact moving forward. So, you know, she agreed to do it and I wanted to be smart about it. I didn't just want to come out here hoping things were going to happen. So I I think there was like a four to six month lead period before moving out, Mm -hmm. started making all my calls in advance for like work, um, moved to LA December 23rd, December 26th, I was in my car heading to Desmond Child's office to pick up a track for Hillary Duff. So I, I started working with a, a writer who was who was working on her record, and I started doing production work there like as soon as I got here. Wow. I had been doing that for like six or seven months. And then it kind of came to the point where the studio guys were like, well, if this is what you want to do, you need to let that other thing go. You're going to do great Mm -hmm. if you come in this world. Mm -hmm. At that particular juncture, because I'd already started Asia and Europe and all that. And it was like finally happening. Like I I, I had done touring in the States, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and, and at at that particular juncture, I was like, you know what, you you're 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 definitely right, and I love this world, but I still see myself as a player mm. and as a performer. So I had made that choice at that time. Um, right, and uh, yeah, you know, and I uh, did uh, two records with Nuno. It was great. Um, we uh, did uh, we did an EP called Sessions from Room Four, and then uh, we had to change the name from Population One to Drama Gods, and then we put out a full length called Love, and uh, it was just this dope vintage retro bell bottoms using Moogs, Mellotrons, Whirlies, and Distortion Harmoniums, and wow. yeah, it, it was Great. awesome. That's cool. Yeah. And so you so you worked with Gary Sharon and Nuno after Extreme had kind of broken up. Was there any yeah. like was that they were obviously still civil? It wasn't like a bad Yeah, thing. yeah. It, it was weird because like for a while I was the missing link because so the the um the, the record with Gary, the band was Gary Pat Badger from Extreme and Mike Mangini. Now, bear in mind, uh, Paul Geary had already been out of drumming for a while and was managing and is still doing that and doing very, very well by that. So at that point, Extreme was, was broken up and the last drummer on record was Mike Mangini. Gotcha. Right. So we did that. And then after the Gary thing, it, I, it, it was Nuno. Um, but the, the interesting thing is I've, I've never 
I've, I've, I've never toured with extreme. I've, I've done some things with, with extreme, but you know, that band as, as much as I've known all those guys and I get along extremely well and I've written with Nuno, I've written with Gary extreme is extreme. Yeah. You know, so yeah. But you know, I've I've been fortunate to be involved in a great number of of projects with Nuno since. That's cool. Cuz you you guys did the the Perry Farrell the Se- yeah as well, right? What a cool record that is, man. I was just listening that is, to it again today cuz I was like it's the weirdest like funky rock. Yeah. So cool. And Carl Restivo uh, yep. is part of that as well, right? Yeah, yeah, Carl house band at uh He's in the house band at uh, Lucky at Soundcheck Live, yeah, Check. yep, right. and and he's great in 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 that context in that band. I believe he was playing bass, and uh, that that originally was K Fig on drums from Extreme, Nuno on guitar, Perry and his wife, um, myself on keyboards, and Tony Canal from No Doubt. Wow, that's cool. So my involvement in that was was short. The the album still wasn't done yet, but it was summertime and Perry wanted to debut that project at Lollapalooza. So we did a warm-up gig at at the Key Club and then we did Lala uh a couple of weeks later. Um, a lot, a lot of fun. It, it was, it, it was great to play that show and do that. But then after those two shows, Perry and Uno went back to finish the uh, record. So mm-hmm. there was nothing else going on. And this was in 2006. And then in October of 2006, um, I got a call from Barry Squire <laughs> saying that this pop chick uh was auditioning for a whole new band wow and that was avril levine and that's been my gig since man wow that's great so you came out here and just took off pretty much right <laughs> <laughs> wow so you've been with avril for a long time since since january well officially since jan january of 2007 Wow, that's great. So she's obviously pretty loyal to her her band and to her It's yeah. Yeah. That's well, a- now having said so yes, and and that's very much true. At this point, I'm the only one left from that original band, which that was Steve Feckety, uh-huh. Jim McGorman, mm-hmm. Al Barry and Rodney Howard. Uh Rodney was a New York guy, Al Barry, bass player, um, yeah. had had done um, a few tours with Kelly Clarkson. Got you. And he prior just, to that, he just left recently. Yeah, yeah, yep. So how is she to work with? Great. She's extremely cool. She's um, she is an extroverted introvert. When when she's around the people that she knows best and feels comfortable, she is an absolute blast. And, you know, always the best time, 
always have a great time uh, on tour. Um, you know, but um, she's she's very protective of her brand, mm. which she should that's be. Good. Yeah, that's good. You know, um, and and on top of that, you know, the the, uh, the 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 whole thing was our our last tour before this new before her latest record head above water. Um, the last tour is when she got Lyme's disease. Oh, and, uh, so, you know, she kind of had to take things easy. So it, um, it was five years almost until she she put out the last record. Um, but from it, you know, the, uh, songs and lyrics and all that speak strongly to what she had dealt with and what she was going through and all that, you know? So, um, it, it was it it was a different kind of vibe. It, it was it, the record was a little bit more kind of serious or whatever. It wasn't like hey hey you 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 know yeah, like pom poms yeah, yeah. cheerleaders. Yeah. Um, but the music had e- evolved and it was a, a blast. You know, putting those tracks for a live band. I, I was just so bummed when the tour got canceled, man. Yeah, but uh, yeah, she's great to work for. Um, is she really? Is she hands on with the music? When it comes to the records, um, of course, she's extremely hands on. So, in terms of the the arrangements on tour and all that, so basically, the process starts out before any of of the other guys in the band. I get the stems and. Because I've been touring so long with her, I kind of go back and I look at past tours and I've, I look at set lists. I've looked at, at, at arrangements that have worked. I especially look at arrangements that have been the same for eight years mm-hmm. and then try and turn those on their head because I, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of wanting her to give a performance and an experience for her fans that is familiar, but not, um, punched in. Got you. So, so the, the uh, starting process is I'll, we'll start on a a master list of, of songs for Mm. the the, uh, tour or whatever. And then we'll narrow that down a bit. And then I'll start to work on arrangements and do mock-ups for the whole show. Got you. Go back and forth with her, and then once that's good, then I start sending, uh, you know, the stems to all all the guys in the band, like uh, a bass up stem, or you know, mm-hmm. for for a guitars, it, just to save time. It'll be one guitar on left and one guitar on right or whatever. And, right. and I'm, I'm, I'm very picky about tones and drum sounds and bass sounds. And this was the uh, first tour that um, had no amps. Oh, got you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, n- now especially our, our uh, bass player, Maddie, had a Helix, our lead guitar player had a helix and our rhythm slash acoustic guy had uh, a Kemper Kemper. Yeah. 
and my rig was insane. <laughs> so basically, you know, I was I, I I was playing keyboard, singing backup vocals, MDing, running the backing tracks, and sending wow. video out. Oh wow! All that from my stage position, and then had an MD mic with a few switches on the ground. One is just to talk to the band. One's just to talk to Avril, and one is to talk to everybody. Wow! So it's like mission control. That sounds like you. <laughs> it, 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 it it definitely plays into my 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 uh, madness. So. Uh, it's good to have like you know the, those gigs that last a long time like that because especially with the pop thing, it's they they come and go fast. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I I I never you know. Coming into it, I never thought. I, 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 you know, I, I, you know, you just figure. So, so this this pop gig comes or whatever, or the next gig comes up, and you know, if if it happens that this one's going back out and you're around and it works out great, you know, it's odd because it's not like she's constantly busy, right? But there there has been a certain loyalty that when she's ready to do something. It's like, I want to make it happen so that I can do it. Right. You know? For sure. Yeah. Well, shoot, man. You came out to LA. You, you took over the town. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. So what do you think, like, what's the key to your success? What would you tell an up-and-coming person? I mean, it's such a different world now than when, you, yeah. when we both came out here. Um, but uh, what do you think? Um, why, why do you think people hire you? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm, I, you know, I'm, um, I'm, I'm very meticulous. Um, I, I know how to get things done. I'm extremely efficient. You know what I mean? Um, I, I only get involved with gigs that I know play to my strengths. Um, and you know, that's, that's kind of one bit of advice or whatever, but, you know, especially now I, I think, you know, being able to, uh, adapt is key. One gig might call for this. The next gig might call for that. So, um, one of the main things for me is I I built up a wide range of skill sets with the hope that whether it's touring or whether it's a studio gig or whether it's an in-town gig or whether it's a sound design gig or whatever, that I have those different sort of skill sets because I just look at, you know, I mean, I'm at, at the best, I'm... I'm not a star or whatever. I'm not going to be the focal point. I don't desire to be that. I just want to be the guy that's always working, that people know if they hire me, that the job is going to get done. It's going to get done well. It, it's it's going to exceed their expectations of what could have been done. Mm. Um, you know, yeah. Um, and... Those are the, the, the main things, you know, and uh, make make sure to keep your chops up because th that's always the first 
part of it. And, you know, uh, not that the whole social thing and networking and social media, these are all important things, which, by the way, I've been slacking on totally because of this time. I, I'm not, I just, it's, that's, that's been the hard part because I know that despite all this, I still need to work on having some sort of presence Fortunately, I've been working a lot. Yeah. Barring the use of that, like I've, I think that I've at least worked myself enough into a position where people who know what I do call me. Right. You know what I mean? And I don't, I, I'm not saying that I don't need to because we all need to, but I, I, there's, there's not as much pressure that I need to be posting four things a day or, or showing my cat or (laughs) me doing improvisations on piano or whatever. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes it's okay to coast. You know what I mean? Once you got the work going on, you know, you could take a break from that stuff. I have to every once in a while and just... But just a coasting just in terms of social media. Yes. Not, yes, not yes. like coasting no, musically. No, no I, mean like, <laughs> I mean like, okay, I'm working so I don't have to go to the club every night and, right, yes, and yes. shake hands and be in front of people all the time, which right. you know, it's not not the most fun thing to do all the time or the, mm-hmm. you know, and let's think the social media has kind of taken the place of, of that, of, of shaking hands and schmoozing and yeah. meeting people. And, but once in a while it's like, okay, I got a gig now for, for, for a year. I'm, I'm just going to chill on the, and then, you know, as that gig starts to end, then maybe I'll go start shaking hands again, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, no, totally dude. When, you know, just to, I, I know we're winding down, but like, you know, Leading up to the Soundcheck Live cover, um, the Beatles thing, I was doing a lot of social media because that was something that I that I was putting out, that I was promoting. I mean, when there's something to show or you know to show the the, the fruits of some kind of of thing I'm involved in, you know, then I'm there, you know. Right. Um, but I I just at least for me right now. I I just and whether it's right or wrong I don't know but I just choose not to be a part of yeah. the discourse the way right. things are going because first off not that my opinion doesn't matter but for better or worse I do not believe that anything that I'm going to say outside of specifically related to music mm-hmm is going to impact, affect, or change anybody, right. or change somebody's opinion. And I don't want to change anyone's opinion. That's not, I have my beliefs and things that I hold dear and things that I think are right or wrong on any of those spectrums. And um, the biggest and best thing that I can do is show to, to show for that is election day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the only thing that I would like, if I had to say anything to anybody, I don't care where you fall, just vote. Right. If, if you're dead set that your guy's the guy, just mark it on the ballot, man. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm, let's all get along. You know, you know, what's funny? Yeah, you know, what's interesting about that is that the night that I sang those two songs, uh-huh. it was the night after the election. Of, no way! Yeah, it was the 2016 election, and you know, I guess it's no secret. LA was was pretty much devastated, you know. And I went in, and I really didn't know what to do, 
you know, I, I, cause I'm like, I, it was the first time I'm going to sing a song. I have a voice here at the lucky strike tonight, you know, mm -hmm. and like, and you came up to me and said, you know, let's just not talk about it. Let's just give people a chance to escape, you know? And like, and I was kind of glad you did. Cause I was just like, okay, the pressure's off, you know, not, yeah. not that I felt pressure necessarily, but I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to not say something, you know, but I just right. got up and I said, you know, I just said before I started, I was just like, thank God for music, you know? And like, you know, and I think, yeah. that, that, I think that's a, a big positive energy that comes off of you. Let's just leave the opinions away, leave them at home now and let's, let's make some music and, and have a good yeah. time and, and provide some entertain for, entertainment for these these crazy Hollywood people tonight, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. You know, there, there, there's plenty again, if there are other people that have a, a, a different take on that, no one's wrong. I just, right. you know, in, in terms of, of that night and some people may disagree. I didn't want it to be a social platform. Right. I want yeah. it to be a night of, escapism i want it to be a night of popcorn and 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 pepsi you and know bowling. and and bowling <laughs> and bowling <laughs> well it always is and it always will be again i'm sure i mean i like you say lucky strike is a big company so hopefully that's going to continue once we can all yeah. be normal but i really appreciate your you taking the time and and talking to me and uh, this has been awesome i think uh thank you so much for having me and asking i i uh, saw that you had had uh derek on yeah i I, yeah. I still need to listen to that one i just haven't had time but i will and you had jen oberly yep. and chad chad right right yeah dude chad and i berkeley man oh i know i forgot about this story chad and i played in the same cover band not at the same time not at the same time, but it's really funny. I didn't know Chad well. Uh -huh. Chad, Chad was a little bit before my time, but I but there was some friends that we had that were mutual. And the the one thing I took from him, I swear it's so bizarre. I remember him saying, you know, that that he was in this cover band called the Cattoons, and it was like the highest paying cover gig in Massachusetts. <laughs> and that was like seven years before I got a call. And then I, I, I'd gotten a call about it. And I, I, I hate to keep going on. We're finishing up. But it's a oh, funny oh, story. Funny story. So um, at the time, I, I was living in Massachusetts. My wife and I had just bought a house in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Okay. With the intent just to flip it. The, the intent wasn't, oh my God, Providence, I'm stoked. <laughs> um, but, 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 but anyways, just prior to that, um, was, um, I, I, I think at the time I, I had done, I was still doing stuff with Nuno, but it was like tours in the summer or whatever. So I had taken a gig very short lived at the guitar center on, on Com Ave. Gotcha. Um, and like, and it was funny because I didn't particularly like it, but I was very knowledgeable about gear. So I came in and like, in like two months, I, I, I was the top selling sales guy, <laughs> but not because I was a good salesman. I can't even speak well. I just knew the gear <laughs> and I'm very passionate. Passionate about the gear. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, so I'm working at guitar center and then I'm moving to Rhode Island. I was, you know, I told management, I'm looking, it's like, Hey guys, 
thanks a lot. I appreciate it, you know, but I'm, 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 I'm moving. And they're like, well, you know, we've got a location. And I'm like, your location in Rhode Island is going to be nothing like Com Ave. So I made the move. And then a manager makes one last ditch thing to like call me. And he's like, look it. Okay. You don't like Providence. Why don't you still work at Comav? We'll pay for your gas. We'll like pay you a travel stipend. Wow. And and then he's like, oh yeah, by the way, some dude came in, um, was asking about you. There's some cover band that was looking for a keyboard player. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not taking the gig. Give me the dude's phone number. And <laughs> I I I did that uh, cover gig for uh, r- pretty much up until I moved out here. Wow. And so like pretty much, I don't know, for the past 25 years, I don't think that I've done any work that hasn't been directly music related. Wow. That's amazing. That's so funny. Yeah. We talk all about it on, on his, his podcast. Oh, we, don't talk about, we don't mention you, but he talks about, uh, you know, his, uh, his time with them and how, how much it paid and stuff. It was pretty crazy. Oh, really? He, he didn't mention that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, well, yeah. the funny thing is, is that I, I don't remember the year, but it, uh, I was playing at Scholars with, with uh-huh. uh, Keiko Matsui one time. Yeah. And Dad and his brother, Shay, he has a twin brother. Yeah, of course. They, yeah. And, his wife, Noriko, were playing a gig in Boston as well with uh, Richard Street from The Temptations. Yeah, yeah. also used to play with. But anyway, so I get over my gig. He gets over there. We all get in their rented car and drive out to Quincy, Mass. to see Cat-Tunes. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you were still in the band at that point. Oh, I mean, yeah. Oh, my God. I totally was. I, I, I remember <laughs> that. Is the, the, the gig, the, the venue was a place called the uh, Beachcomber, I think. Yes, Beachcomber. That's exactly right. The yeah, Beachcomber yeah, yeah. in Quincy. Yeah, oh, my so God. I don't, remember, I don't remember meeting you necessarily, but I, I saw you guys. Same here, but yeah. it was great. <laughs> yeah. So we go way back, man. Yeah, man. Awesome. <laughs> well, anyways, well, thanks again, man. This has been totally great. And, um, I can't wait for things to start back up again, obviously. Same here, man. And, uh, you know, we just got to stay busy. This, yeah. this uh, podcast is great. You know what I mean? It's, it's a way to stay connected. So it's awesome, man. And once again, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm a diaper, well, that was just jam-packed with lessons, I thought. <laughs> But a couple of them that stuck out to me, uh, the first one was don't let other people's stories stop you. And that's such a big thing because, you know, L.A. can be a very scary, awful place, but it's not necessarily going to be for you. Everyone's set of circumstances and likes and dislikes are different. And, and maybe their personality or what they enjoy, maybe they just, they missed winter, you know, but that's not necessarily going to be you. And, and believe me, before I came out here, I heard horror story after horror story, especially if you live in a smaller place, um, that's more likely what you're going to hear, <laughs> but, uh, it's been wonderful for me and it's, it's a, it's an amazing city. It's a tough city. Be prepared, but, um, don't be scared. The second thing that he brought up that I really enjoyed was the playing always comes first. Uh, 
And he said it, it often gets overlooked, which is true. You know, you know, you gotta have a look, you know, you gotta have a good personality. We talk about all that other stuff a lot on the podcast, but at the end of the day, if you can't play, you can't play, you know, <laughs> like the playing has to be number one. And growing up in a small town, I, I, I always heard things like, you know, you'd see somebody on MTV and you'd be like, oh, I could do that gig. Well, yeah, you probably could do that gig, but the guy that has that gig is badass, you know, <laughs> or, or sometimes people call from other places and say, Hey, you know, if you know anybody who needs a good rhythm guitar player, let me know. And the, the thing of it is people aren't looking for an okay guitar player. You know, we're in LA, there's hundreds of great guitar players to choose from. And why would you pick a mediocre guy? Not that you don't have something to offer. And that doesn't even mean that you won't be able to get a good gig if you come here, you know, at whatever skill level you're at. But if you want to really give yourself the best chance to succeed, you need to be the best player that you can be. I always use the mantra, the best players get the best gigs. And it's not always necessarily true, for sure. But if you think that way, you'll have a much better chance at working because you're going to, you know, be motivated to be the best player that you can possibly be. And that's really your insurance. I've never heard anyone say, um, I didn't hire him because he was too good. The charity that we mentioned is called Music Cares, and it was actually established in 1989 by the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, which are the people who give out Grammys. And they've given away $48 million over the years to artists in need. So I will include a link if you'd like to donate, since there are, at this point, many artists in need. The Kings of Leon song that we couldn't think of is called Use Somebody that I sang at the Soundcheck Live Jam at the Lucky Strike. And Desmond Child, in case you don't know who he is, he's a hit songwriter he co-wrote like Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi and Dude Looks Like a Lady by Aerosmith um, and tons and tons of other hits, so look him up. And Barry Squire is a guy in town who finds players for recently signed artists or like also big artists and puts, puts bands together for them. And so he's a great phone number to hunt down when you first move to town. It's not necessarily listed. You're going to you just have to meet people and, and get it. Uh, years ago, he called me to audition for Robin Thicke before anyone had heard of him, um, but I didn't get the gig. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm a star. Wow, you've made it to the end. I'm hoping it's because you completely enjoyed yourself and are now filled with knowledge and inspiration to move forward with your dreams. If that is the case and you would like to stay informed of new episodes, live events, and general news, please go to divebarrockstar.com and sign up for the mailing list. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or complaints about anything you hear on the show, please email me at fanmail at divebarrockstar.com and you may even end up on the show. We at the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast, with all of our hearts, thank you for listening and remember, it's all about dreams. <laughs> <laughs>